Good morning, Evergreen. You know, when I was asked to first preach, I was a little nervous because I've never preached in, just, in front of just an online audience before. And I was a little nervous because, as you all have heard, the camera adds 10 pounds. And, uh, but I have it on good authority from the tech guys there in the back that these are special cameras that add 10 pounds of muscle. So that was a big relief for me. So looking swole already. Um, but, you know, as we continue to think about 2020 and all of the bad things happening, here we have Psalm 14 and just one more thing to heap on uh, in our summer of Psalms. Just got a little thunderstorm. Psalm 14 cuts to the quick, challenging us to examine our consciousness. As I contemplated this text, what text to preach from, I felt that this passage was uh, particularly important to do because, honestly, it's the kind of passage that I'd like to read and then just kind of move on from. We acknowledge the beauty of Scripture, uh, particularly in the wisdom literature, in the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and more, and that they give a whole range of human emotions and experiences. There's everything from the joy and the wonder of God to the sadness and doubt and fear, as well as contrition and penance in Psalms like 51. When it comes to a passage like this, though, and this moment of conviction, well, what I'd like to do is just align myself with those who are being persecuted. I'd like to think of myself as the one who's being attacked and devoured by the wicked and longing for the hope that comes out of Zion. But the truth is that we ought to check ourselves before we fall too comfortably into identifying as that righteous generation who are being devoured by the wicked and corrupt. For every person, even the wicked assume that what they're doing is good, or at least done for the good. This is a hard sermon for me to work on because personally I'd rather spend more time thinking about how God is transforming me and making me into the person he's always called me to be rather than spending time sitting and dwelling on the ways I failed than to live up to God's laws and commands. But it's important now in this time and moving forward that we take stock of who we are to assess what we say and do and whether that truly aligns with the kingdom of God or if we're engaging in self-rationalization and deception in order to promote our own social and political ideologies and passing them off as God's. David's psalm is a direct condemnation to the Jewish elite of the day, those who would claim to be righteous purely because of their Jewish heritage. But really, you could insert any identity claim that makes it a special status of spiritual benefit or blessing. You see, even, uh, you, you see, even though they claim to have the law and be part of God's special covenant with God, they're simultaneously thwarting God's law and upending justice in their community to promote their own agendas. One of the reasons I find this psalm fascinating is because it's used uh, through multiple places in Scripture. It's not just in Psalm 14 that we have this lesson, but if you flip ahead a few chapters to Psalm 53, you see that it mirrors Psalm 14 almost exactly. And then it's taken up later in the New Testament in the book of Romans, chapter 3, where Paul quotes the first three verses of Psalm 14 and then extends on to add to his argument with other passages from the Old Testament. You see, this is one of the key features of, this, of Scripture in general. It's that it's living and active, and that it has the power, with the power of the Holy Spirit, can speak a fresh word into new contexts. As one of my old t- teachers liked to say, the Bible wasn't written to us, but it is written for us. David wrote this psalm 
with the people of Judah in mind. Paul uses it to speak to first century Christians in Rome. But the word of God continues to speak today, challenging our own areas of corruption and violence and offers the good news of the gospel in the midst of such evil. Scripture gets used and reused throughout the canon as it continues to develop and incorporate into the New Testament lessons. In fact, if you want to understand Jesus at all, or really any of the New Testament, you have to start in the Old Testament. And it's a good thing that we're doing this summer in the Psalms because actually the book of Psalms is used in the New Testament more than any other book found in the Old Testament. There are over a hundred references or quotations from, the old, from Psalm in the New Testament as the writers of the New Testament continue to work out their new theology in the light of Jesus Christ. If you turn to Psalm 53, you'll notice that it is almost a direct copy of Psalm 14, 1 through 3, except that the psalmist in 53 uses the word Adonai, which gets translated as God, whereas David in Psalm 14 chooses to use the word Yahweh, which in our scriptures usually gets translated as Lord. But we see many of the same themes throughout these, these texts, the wicked acting unjustly, preying on others, and where injustice exists, suffering is not far behind. What becomes interesting is how Paul, almost a thousand years later, takes this passage in Psalms, and, and which originally and clearly critiqued the Jewish leaders and elites of the day, and broadens the charge to all of humanity. Let's turn now to Romans and see how this takes place. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12 say this, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under, the sin, are under sin, as it is written, There is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who, do, who does good not even one. Now in Romans 3, Paul is laying out the argument that it is not just the Gentiles, but the Jews who need a savior because the law acts almost like a doctor being able to diagnose the disease, but without the capacity to cure it and bring about righteousness. Notice here how Paul recites Psalm 1, uh, 14, 1 through 3, and then goes on to add these other passages from other Psalms to make his point further. But one subtle change Paul makes to the original passage in Psalm for his current context. He switches out the word good for righteousness or righteous. Now this word righteous gets a lot of attention in the book of Romans and throughout all of Paul's literature. The word righteous is actually the same word in the New Testament that often gets translated as justice. It's the word dikaiosune if you're wondering. And while there are many ways to think about justice, and certainly in our current culture, many ways we speak about justice, legal justice, social justice, etc., for Paul and most of those who have been educated in the Jewish tradition, righteousness or justice is primarily about being in right relation with God. What Paul argues here is in this portion of Romans is that we are all under the rule of sin, have broken the covenant relationship with God, and thus, no one is righteous. No one has perfectly fulfilled the law as it was called for, and therefore in right relation with God. We have all sinned or missed the mark, and thereby fallen short of the glory of God. 
that glory which originally was bestowed on us as image bearers of God. We have not lived up to that glory as the kinds of creatures, the kinds of persons that God has made us to be. We failed to live up to that end. Paul goes on in verse 13 saying, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they are deceiving. The poison of asps is on, under their lips. Paul connects our sinfulness here specifically with our words. We have used our capacity for speech instead of to praise God, but to, instead we deceive ourselves and others, allowing the stench and disease of death from the open grave to pour out of our mouths. We do violence and demean others. And Paul argues that in the end, that in the chapter, that we are all, earlier in the chapter, that we are all under the power of sin. And yet we are still held accountable for those actions. There's no passing the buck on this one. No matter the person, the family, the circumstance, whether you are a Jew with the law or a Gentile with the natural law, we are all, as Paul says in chapter one, without excuse. This is a hard saying, particularly for our day and age, because we are both responsible for our sin and powerless to overcome it apart from Jesus Christ. And while this seems all like bad news, that we are all sinners, that we're all guilty, we know that the first step of recovery, the first step towards wholeness is acknowledging that we have a problem. Now, there are two ways that we can look at this and the first, I think, is to have an overwhelming sense of guilt. Guilt in our, in our actions and our attitudes and our habits. But guilt, ultimately, isn't a transformative emotion. Guilt keeps us stuck, working in our own capacities to try to make up for what we've done wrong. What we need instead is gratitude. Not gratitude about our sinful desires or behaviors, but gratitude for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is from this place of gratitude that we can then love and serve God as he has initially called us to. Every good sermon, I believe, should always lead us back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here is the good news. We were made good by a good God <coughs> and have all sinned and are powerless to overcome this on our own. But we have a God who continues to be faithful to us even when we are not faithful to him. So out of a place of gratitude to this good God who continues to pursue us and restore our relationship with himself, we have a call towards repentance, to turn back to God and acknowledge the deep need we have for him. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no justice, there is no righteousness. The act of repentance is not a one-time act, however. It is not just for new initiates who are coming into the faith for the first time. The life of the disciple of Christ is one of constant conversion. We are called to die to ourselves daily and live for him. For those who lose their life for Christ's sake will find it. Repentance and conversion to Christ is a daily activity. So let us examine ourselves today, acknowledge the ways we've sinned, and be grateful for the good news that Christ has come to do what we never could, establish justice and righteousness in our world. Amen.